Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Here is a fun fact to start off the show. Did you know that a group of porcupines is called a prickle? How delightful is that? Coming up, we'll take a deep dive into the book publishing supply chain. Turns out it's kind of a disaster. Yeah, every single step. There aren't as many mills as there used to be. They've all shut down. They're going bankrupt. It's going to be an issue for sure. Don't ignore it. But first, it's our panel to unpack the week with us. We have the host of the podcast, Fake the Nation, Nagin Farsad. Nagin, hello. Oh my gosh, a prickle? I had no idea, and now I'm going to try and say it every single day of my life. <laughs> it's just so good. Also, here is the host of the Sporkful podcast and the inventor of a whole new pasta, Dan Pashman. Dan, hello. Hey, Greta, great to see you. Okay, so I think we should start with kid vaxes because you two are both parents and nearly a million kids around the country received their first round of Pfizer shots this week. You both have children. Um, Dan, yours are old enough for the vaccine, right? Yes, I have an 11 year old and an eight year old. Okay, so have you gotten to sign them up yet? They are actually getting vaccinated right now as we speak. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, it's happening this very moment. Ah, that's so how do you feel? Um, I feel excited. I feel really good about it. Um, you know, they're uh, they finally just got over their fear of shots well enough to like not cause a total disaster. I was gonna say those are good ages for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it will, it will provide some nice relief. Yeah. So Nagin, how old is your kid? Mine is only two and a half, so she's not ah. eligible yet. Have you thought about getting a fake ID for her, Nagin? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it's, I'm, I'm excited that every other kid is doing it because she's in a preschool, um, and there are five and six year olds at our school. So it's like the fewer opportunities for the thing to spread. I mean, it, it ends up protecting the vulnerable and then the little ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. So unfortunately due to timing, none of the roughly 28 million children who are now eligible are going to be fully vaccinated by Thanksgiving. But has that like, have you made Thanksgiving plans, Dan? Uh, we were hosting our our extended family, and and, nice. and and everyone will be either fully vaccinated or kids who are at least partially vaccinated. So I think we feel good about that. That's awesome. So Dan, I mentioned that you are a pasta inventor. Are you going to serve the pasta at Thanksgiving? You know, I, That's I, I a mean, great question because it's not. <laughs> it is not a Thanksgiving food, Dan. No. Um, excuse me. I guess excuse maybe me. Mac and cheese. <laughs> yes, mac and cheese is a common Thanksgiving side dish in many parts of the country. <laughs> excuse okay. me, he says. Um, and and my pasta shaped <laughs> cascatelli goes quite well with my wife's mac and cheese recipe, which is fantastic. <laughs> so you're going to do it? Yeah. Um, I, I, Dan, you, you took that really like an insult and (laughs) (laughs) things almost came to blows on the nerd at podcast i I felt insulted on behalf of mac and cheese (laughs) (laughs) so nagin what are your thanksgiving plans are you doing anything fun 
Our Thanksgivings are just like a grab bag of wild. Like one year we'll do pizza, another year we'll do, we'll actually order a, a Thanksgiving feast from a place. I've um, ventured to make a bunch of side dishes, but I've never made an actual turkey. Uh, there, it, we just it's it's completely a who knows what's gonna happen. Um, but we but we find it we kind of find that exciting. Well, then in that case, pasta would totally work for your Thanksgiving household, Nikki. You know what? And I have to be honest with you, Dan. I now that you're saying this, I literally did like I ordered a mac and cheese once for Thanksgiving from a, a mac and cheese spot in in New York City <laughs> called Smack. So uh, that was literally one of my Thanksgiving <laughs> meals was a straight up mac and cheese. So there I apologize go. to everyone who felt offended. Okay. <laughs> So in other news this week, People magazine named Paul Rudd the sexiest man alive. The 52-year-old actor from Clueless, Ant-Man, and the forthcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife went on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert to make the big reveal. I'm the sexiest man alive! You're the sexiest man alive! I'm the sexiest man alive! So this was an interesting one. I like I saw a little bit of Twitter discourse about it. A lot of people were like, sexiest man alive, though, which got us wondering. I mean, I don't know. I'm not mad about this decision. What do y'all think? Nagin, is Paul Rudd the sexiest living man? Okay, so I... Uh... I just I, f- I feel strongly that he is a good looking man. He's like a cute man. He's like a slightly nerdy man. Just mm-hmm. and, but I think self described. I don't think this is any you know me casting shade. Oh yeah, no. Um, it, but but I don't think he's like sexy. You know what? I was looking at the list of previous winners. I mean, Idris Elba's on there. You know yeah. what I mean? Brad Pitt is on there. Are they at the same level as Paul Rudd at? their level and this it made me worry a little bit that sexiest man alive such an important distinction every year and it's up there with the nobel prize for me um that i was worried that we're sort of like we're we're, um what's the word we're undermining it by Mm. going in this kind of more cuddly route uh cuddly nerd route uh now that said I would do Paul Rudd. Just to be clear, this isn't about me not doing Paul Rudd. I would, okay? Gun to my head, I'll do, I'll do it. Okay, okay. I'm just saying I don't know that he's on the level of some of these other sexy um, beings. That's amazing. What do you think, Dan? Are you concerned that the integrity of Sexiest Man Alive is being compromised with this decision? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Paul Rudd is uh, a white Jewish, middle-aged dad of two who was born in New Jersey. Oh. As somebody who also fits all those criteria, I think this is a fantastic choice. (laughs) (laughs) I say more Paul Rudds, fewer Idris Elbas. I just, I have to say, I think Dan is actually making my point, which is if you're a man... In America, you should essentially not see yourself in the sexiest <laughs> man alive. <laughs> okay. That, that, just... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Look, hashtag cuddly nerds. All right. That's <laughs> let, let's let's get that brand going. <laughs> 
I don't know. I just really like I've always had a soft spot for Paul Rudd and like the that people article, the little interview he did about being the sexiest man alive. Obviously, he thinks it's ridiculous. Like he talks about how his friends are going to make fun of him. He had this great line about how like he's hoping now that he'll finally be invited to some of these sexy dinners with Clooney and Pitt and Michael B. Jordan. And he wants to be on more yachts. And it's just like, I don't know, the fact that he has such a good sense of humor about it, I do find extremely sexy. Don't you see, Paul? There's nothing sexier than humility. He's already on sexy yacht parties with Clooney and Pitt. I mean, you know what I mean? Right. He's not like uh, some guy, like, you know, who's in human resources. Like, he's already an A-list celebrity. He gets invited to those things. Like, right. you know. I don't know. I mean, but he is like a weirdo. It's nice that he's self-aware and can actually, like, throw down some jokes like that. Yeah. I was like, is there a sexiest woman alive? thing mm. i looked it up at people magazine did it once one year kate upton was the sexiest woman alive and they never did it again and the idea of sexiest woman alive feels icky and unnecessary to me but why is it that sexiest man alive doesn't really dan you're going to complain about the objectification of men in this one specific instance. you don't you don't think women are objectified enough dude <laughs> yeah because dan every issue of every magazine yeah. always every. is sexiest woman alive. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I think we're looking at like <laughs> the only privilege women have. This is like lady privilege. This is yeah. it is that once a year some magazine <laughs> can name sexiest man alive and it's a little belittling and objectifying, you know? <laughs> to one to one guy. Fair enough. <laughs> we found it. <laughs> So, Nagin, if you wanted to maintain the integrity of the sexiest man alive, like who do you think should have won it this year instead? That answer is easy for me. I'm on an Oscar Isaac kick right now. Like I watched scenes from a marriage and was able to like look through the internal pain into the hotness. And uh, yeah, that's who I would have picked hands down. Oh my God. I would. I, I'd vote for Chalamet. I was gonna say Chalamet too. The problem with that is that he's only twenty five, and like that shit is gonna go to his head. You know. I mean, I think we. I think. I think we've got to be there already. You know, vis a vis his head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is just so charming. Yeah. What is it about that that young man? <laughs> Okay, so our last story that we thought would be fun to talk about is this guy named MJ Eberhardt, also known as Nimble Will Nomad, finished out the final few miles of the Appalachian Trail. He became the oldest man to walk the entire trail. He is 83 years old. Okay, so what do you aspire to when you're 83? Have you thought about that? Like, is there something that you would really like to do when you're an old person physically that, like, you're you're thinking about now, Nagin? You know, it's funny, like, so I, I live in New York City and I go to the East River Park a lot and um, and I see there's this dude there whose face looks like he's 150 years old, but his body, because he like will take his shirt off, is jacked, like he's totally <laughs> ripped and, uh, and he does it through um, Tai Chi, that slow moving uh, no thing. Kidding. And yeah, and so I'm, I want to be that guy, right? I, I was like, I mean, and I'm like not even that person now. I, so what am I expecting? I'm expecting to be ripped, but later in life. <laughs> <laughs> I did a lady weightlifting thing for a while and they talked a lot about how like you're going to squat until you die. You know, like every time you go to the bathroom, that's a squat. So like you might as well like get those glutes going, you know? That's why I pee sitting down. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, what about you, Dan? What's on your like eighty something fitness goals? I mean, aside just aside from just being alive, I yeah. would say uh, <laughs> number two would be um, being able to go for long walks. I just love walking. Mm, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not an intense exerciser, but I do. I need to move every day. I go for at least one brisk walk every day. I mean, if you can do that when you're 83, you're doing pretty well, I think. I'd take it. Well, Nagin, Dan, I hope to talk to you before like 50 years from now, but I look forward to that chat too. When we're 83 and we're doing communal squats. (laughs) It's going to be amazing, y'all. Just wait for it. (laughs) Thank you both. This was so much fun. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Greta. In just a minute, we'll take a deep dive into how supply chain problems are impacting the publishing industry. It's fun. We promise. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I don't know about you, but the phrase supply chain was not one that I thought about a lot before the pandemic hit. But since then, it has come up in all sorts of surprising ways. Blame it on the supply chain. Shipping snarls. Critical logjam. Chain of fools. There are so many snags in the chain. At this point, we've all heard about how supply chain strains are impacting stuff like furniture and clothes and toys and computer chips. But as the book nerd that I am, I have been noticing some problems for booksellers and publishers, too. Now, I haven't seen empty bookshelves at my favorite local bookstores yet, but I have noticed emails from publishers announcing delays. And the industry as a whole is definitely on edge. Oh, it's bad. Definitely a lot of emails from customers. Where are my books? Where are my books? I've been in the business for 30 years, so it's probably as difficult as it's been. What the heck is going wrong? We decided to dig into what's happening and how to prepare for it. We're going to start our journey with the first of many excellent book lovers. My name is Sandra Law. I work for Abraham Associates. Sandra is the Midwest representative for more than 30 smaller publishers, lots of university presses and also Chronicle Books, which makes puzzles and notebooks and cookbooks, among other things. Sandra says there are issues at pretty much every step of the bookmaking process. Yep, every single step. So think about a baby book. Once it's written, it has to get printed, which obviously involves paper. And there is a paper shortage, but it definitely doesn't stop there. There are also fewer printers than ever before. Sandra says 98% of the books we read here in the United States are printed in China. Which means if you're a publisher and you can find a printer and they can find paper and all the books you need do get made, that's great. But then you need a shipping container and those are in super high demand. It's a little wild. Shipping containers used to only cost around $2,500. Now some publishers are having to spend upwards of $25,000 just to get the containers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild. In the before times, a publisher would just order a huge print run from one printer and get them shipped over. But now, because of all this chaos, publishers are trying to mix things up as much as possible to make sure they'll get their books on time. 
one of my big books this fall is um, from Spike Lee. It's entitled Spike. It's coming from Chronicle Books. So they specifically made sure that they had three separate printings coming in on three separate vessels to give it the best shot on not having to push the sale date back too far. But they're still probably looking at least a, a week pushback of that on sale date, which that's honestly amazing compared to what I've seen with some other books. Oh my God. That sounds so stressful. I mean, how, like, I don't know. I think about my own little life, like in my apartment in Chicago and like how out of control things have felt for me over the past year and how stressful it is. But like, I don't have to worry about hundreds of thousands of books. You know, this is like people's livelihoods. Yeah. As a rep, there's pressure as a bookseller, there's pressure, but I would say like definitely as like a publisher operations person, (laughs) it's just not the time to have that job. There aren't as many mills as there used to be. They've all shut down. They're going bankrupt. They're retooling for diapers. And everybody knows about the ships that are off the coast of California right now and off the coast of Boston. It's real. That is Clark Matthews. He's the vice president and general manager of IPG, Inc. He says it's the oldest and second largest book distributor in the country. It also just happens to be here in Chicago. So Nerdette producer Anna and I went to check it out. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome. Great to meet you. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. Come on in. At IPG, there is a giant room filled with industrial paper cutters and conveyor belts and massive rolls of paper and huge printers. There's a warehouse, too. It holds about 12 million books. Most of the books there are shipped in from other printers, but Clark says they print about 10% of their book stock in-house. At least they do when the printers are actually working. Oh, I see a red light. That's probably not yeah, good, huh? Red light means no. No good. In the bowels of this machine, an important belt broke. And that important belt cannot easily be replaced. Is that partly because supply chain? Yes. Our technician is going to another site and stripping an existing machine somewhere else of that part and putting it on this machine. Clark says that is not the only supply chain issue that he can easily point to. The systems they never had to question before are totally falling apart. And for him specifically, it's mostly coming down to paper and glue. There's just not enough supply. As a result, Clark has found as many workarounds as he can. You know, my supply chain is stronger now than it's ever been because I've got a plan B and a plan C for everything. Booksellers are trying to think about their plans B and C, especially now as people start buying gifts for the holidays. It's going to be an issue for sure. Don't ignore it. Javier Ramirez co-owns and runs Exile in Bookville. It's an indie bookstore here in Chicago. And only about half of Javier's shop sales actually come from new books. They sell used books, too. So he thinks he'll be safer from shortages than the stores that rely solely on shiny new releases. I think it's those big titles, you know, like the Sally Rooney's and the Colson Whiteheads and and the, you know, the Jonathan Franzen's. And I think that's where bookstores are going to be impacted. And the impact is really going to be felt by someone who waits until the last minute to do any holiday shopping. Somebody's going to walk in looking for a gift for their uncle who loves military history nonfiction. He's going to get a book on how to press flowers, you know, and he's going to have to be happy with that. So essentially what Javier is saying is that customers are going to have to have a plan C, too. And who knows? Maybe instead of the history of the Panzer tank, Uncle Dave will get really into pressing pansies. 
While the holidays represent a major hurdle for everyone along the book supply chain, every person we talk to agrees this is probably only the beginning. Here's Sandra again, our publisher rep. The issues that we're facing definitely started last year, and they are just continuing to get worse, unfortunately. Every week, we kind of find out new things that are impacting delivery of books to the warehouses and then from the warehouses into the bookstores. Um, So that has pushed so many on-sale dates back. And Clark at IPG says he's not even looking for a light at the end of the tunnel. This is the new normal, in my opinion, for sure. Yes, he is stressed, but he also seems kind of thrilled by the opportunity to get creative and do good work. What people love about their jobs in general is the problem-solving part, right? So it's kind of a perfect storm for being happy, at least in my opinion. It's so fun. I spend all day long now on the phone with paper people, glue people. I've met so many funny little companies in Chicago guys that have a a one glue reactor the guy comes out it's just him and his undershirt and he's got his bucket of pur glue he can give me and you know in his factory it's like a tiny little box and he's got the one little van this is ventilation he's like i've got some glue for you know it's like it's been really fun and our bookstore owner javier agrees that the supply chain disruptions present a very real challenge but he says that could also be an invitation for booksellers to do what they do best. I mean, if we've been touting this about ourselves at independent bookstores and better than Amazon, I think that we're going to have to prove that that's why we are who we are this holiday season. Indie booksellers are amazing. Like they can hand sell, they can help you find that perfect book or item. Use them because, you know, realistically, what you're looking for, unless you've pre-ordered, might not be available when you go to buy it. So pre-order as much as you can. Also be flexible about what books you are giving and receiving this holiday season. In other words, be a good book nerd citizen. And hey, flower pressing is kind of awesome. All right, that's it for this week. Hey, we are doing a special episode next week. We would love your help for it. Many of you already know Emily Landon. She is what we like to call Nerdette's resident epidemiologist, and we check in with her now and then about COVID stuff. We would love to know what your questions are for her. You can just record yourself on your phone and email the file to nerdettepodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question but don't want to use your voice, that's totally fine. Just send us an email. We are talking to her on Tuesday. So do it before Tuesday and maybe you'll hear your question in next Friday's episode. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.